0: James chapter 4, from verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me wish you all a very happy new year. It's that time of the year, of course, when we reflect on the past and, and we think about the future. Um, today's newspapers are telling us how to plan to get our finances in shape for 2024, uh, where to go uh, on an ex-holiday next year, um, where to, uh, what to wear to be a style guru. You could, of course, just look at me. <laughs> what are you laughing about? And um, who's going to get relegated from the Premier League? In reviews, we're told that last year wasn't all bad, which means it really was bad, but there are a few bright spots if you really look for them. And uh, in the business section, we'll tell you how to invest wisely in 2024. But never mind the advice of uh, of the newspapers. Uh, Some of us have already set our goals, and we're planning to get fitter, eat healthier, live wiser. I'm planning to run the Brighton half marathon at the end of February with my brother. Two old guys, combined age of 126. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, Many have far more important plans for 2024. I know people who are getting married next year, others starting new jobs, and some moving house. And then there's others of us who have no plans whatsoever. I was talking to a friend last week and said, what have you got coming up in 2024? He said, oh, I'm not a planner. I just roll with it. I would so love to be someone who just rolls with it, whatever that means, just goes with the flow. Well, look, whether you are a planning type or not, as we head into the new year with all its challenges and opportunities, these verses at the end of James chapter 4 should shape the way we think about planning for the year ahead. Look with me again at James 4 and verse 13. Now, I imagine as I read that, the laid-back people, the non-planners, those who just go with the flow, I imagine you were feeling very pleased with yourselves when I read that. You always knew that taking life easy, just taking it as it comes, is the best way to live. And now you have a Bible text to prove to your uptight planning friends that they have a fundamental flaw in their approach to life. Well, before you start waving that text around, let me caution you to hold on. It's not that clear-cut. That said, this really is a challenge to those of us who are planners, people like me who, who love to have everything mapped out. This is a call for humble planning. That's the, uh, the first point on the handout if, you, uh, if you're following along. Look, there's an alarming lack of humility in that statement in verse 13. Look at it again. Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's a very presumptuous sentence full of pride. But I imagine we've all met people who talk like this. And if we're honest, we've probably caught ourselves talking like this too. I I certainly do. Making my plans without any reference to the Lord. I'm going to run a half marathon in February. Really? All it takes is a pulled muscle. And at my age, they do come pretty often. Of course, there are some who seem to plan on steroids. uh, People who ooze self-assured confidence as they tell you everything they're going to do and achieve. The self-assured city worker, the uber-confident student, or the the regular guy down the pub who's just rather full of himself having downed a pint or two too many. Ask them this evening about their plans for 2024, and the self-assured city worker will tell you all the deals he has lined up for next year. The uber-confident student will lay out how his glittering career is going to develop in the years ahead. And the guy who's had a few too many, well, you do well not really to bring up the subject because he'll wax lyrical all night about everything he's achieved in the past, what a great guy he is and all he's going to, how he's going to smash it in 2024. Now, When guys like him speak, you know it's all bluster, but there are people who have big plans and then they do achieve. The self-assured city worker not only tells you about the deals he's lined up for next year, but then lo and behold, he delivers, closing multiple deals and having a spectacularly lucrative first quarter of the new year. And I can think of confident students who've not only told me of their career plans, but then as the years roll by, they've they've gone on to succeed, indeed exceed even their own very high expectations. Many people do plan big and then achieve. Just take a look at the New Year's honours list. It includes entrepreneurs who've had an idea, then persuaded people to back them financially, and in no time they've become fabulously wealthy, having launched a brand that has revolutionized their sector. Well, that is verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And they do make a profit. And so it's not hard to imagine entrepreneurs like that heading into 2024 and yet m- with more plans to make yet more money. But James says, you make these grand plans yet, verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So in the first week of January, a young enterprising business owner secures a staggering order from a multinational with retail outlets in in US, in Europe and in Asia. But then the day before the huge order is to be shipped out, uh, there's a massive fire in his warehouse and he loses everything including the confidence of his customers and his major investors, and his business never recovers. Or the young lawyer, brilliant in her field, highly respected. Everybody believes she has a fabulous career ahead of her. But next week, she gets a call from the GP with news that her routine blood tests revealed something very sinister. Never mind her career path, her whole life has been changed forever. Or the ambitious banker who's just secured a promotion and can't wait to start the new year, driving his Mercedes on his way back from Birmingham, having visited his elderly aunt over Christmas, and there's a multi car pile up on the M1 and his wife is left planning his funeral. That's verse 14. We don't know what's around the corner. We've no idea what tomorrow will bring. So making plans on the notions that we are the captains of our destiny is very foolish. But it is very easy to live like that because that attitude is drummed into us from a very young age. When my children were in primary school, they were encouraged to follow their dreams and, and they were taught they could be whatever they wanted to be. We tell people, the world's your oyster. You can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. It's an attitude that is ingrained in British psyche. Look, I know you're not all British. uh, But it runs through the British sort of way of thinking. Think of the poem Invictus, penned by the Victorian poet William Ernest Henley. It's a celebration of Victorian stoicism, of self-discipline and fortitude in adversity. It encapsulates the British stiff upper lip. We can overcome anything, whatever life throws at us. I know the last two lines of that that poem, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. The proud British bulldog spirit says, nothing's going to stop me. But a humble biblical spirituality says, verse 14, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And while we might be quite taken by the spirit of Invictus and Henley's never-say-die attitude, please, let's be honest, it's a world of make-believe. It's simply not true that we can be whatever we want to be. I would have loved to have been a professional sportsman. I simply wasn't good enough. And while many people do overcome huge adversity, we are finite, and we simply can't overcome everything, something always gets us in the end, And sadly, some of you know that all too well. And so while the world tells us that the sky is the limit, the Bible tells us the truth. I might not like it, but verse 14 is reality for us all. We are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It is a brilliant image, the mist. Um, When I used to live in a little market town in Hertfordshire, I used to often wake up on a Saturday morning, my day off, open the curtains, look out of the window, and dense fog would stop me from seeing any much further than about 10 metres down the road. So, resigned to a lazy day, reading my book in front of the fire, I'd go off and have a shower, and by the time I, I I dried myself and got dressed, I'd look out the window again, and lo and behold, clear blue skies, the sun shining, I could see for miles. The fog had lifted as if it was never there. That's the second half of verse uh, 14. The mist appears for a little time and then vanishes. But the shock of verse 14 is that so do we vanish after a short time. We're just like the mist, says James. Our lives disappear as quickly as that. Or if you don't like the mist idea, think about the fireworks that'll light up the sky later on tonight. You know, in a few hours' time, all over the country, at 10 seconds to midnight, millions of people will join in the countdown for the, to mark the arrival of the new year. 10, 9, 8, 7, and as Big, Back, Big Ben strikes midnight, fireworks will light up the sky. <laughs> what a sight. We'll look up into the night sky, we'll ooh and ah, because they're beautiful and they're spectacular. But dazzling as they are, they only last a moment. And then there's a haze of smoke in the sky, and we turn to our loved one, and we say, Happy New Year, darling. And then we look up again, and there's nothing. No fireworks, not even the sign of the smoke that they left behind. And James is saying that's what our lives are like. Sometimes quite spectacular, often beautiful. Some even achieving things that make others ooh and ah. But at the end of the day, our lives are fleeting, gone in a moment like a mist. And when you've got gray hair like me and you're the wrong side of 60, you really feel the bite of these words. I can't believe where the last 40 years have gone. And so James says, here we are, so full of ourselves, so full of our grand plans for the future, so believing that we can achieve our dreams, but in reality, in a moment, we're gone and so are our plans And so rather than confidently making grand plans, James writes, verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, let's be clear here. James is not against planning. This is not a verse for all those who like to just go with the flow. James is not against planning, but he is against an arrogant, self-confident attitude that acts as if I'm the master of my destiny, the captain of my soul. He's warning us here against an approach to life that makes plans without acknowledging that God is the sovereign Lord. He's exposing an attitude in planning that doesn't submit to the Lord's good and gracious rule. In short, James is against verse 16, arrogant boasting, which he says is evil. It's actually what he's been saying in the verses before. He's been urging us to be humble. We we read it earlier. Look back to verse 6. And halfway through the verse, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see, James is warning against proud, arrogant, boasting, verse 16. In 2024, I'm going to... End of verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Because to live like that is to ignore God, to push him out and to live independently of him. At its heart, it is the first sin of Adam, pride, which comes before a fall. So as we head into 2024, James is not against planning, but he is urging us to plan humbly, to acknowledge that we are frail, to, verse 7, submit ourselves to God. In 2024, I'd love to but only if the Lord wills. Now, look, I don't think this means that we have to caveat everything with the word if the Lord wills, but it does mean having an attitude and an approach to life that, and all our plans that acknowledge that we are finite creatures and that God is in control and not us. And if we think like that, it will change our whole demeanor, chase away arrogant self-confidence, So first, plan humbly, but there's more, uh, from humble planning to second on the handout, godly planning. And you'll be pleased to know this is a much shorter point. Look again at verse 13 and see that the problem here is not just how people plan, but what they plan for. See, verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James is addressing people whose focus is all about making money. Of course, we meet people like this all the time, and not least of all here in the city. People whose whole lives are about wealth creation, and not just because they work for a large financial institution, but because for them that is what life is about. Living to make money to buy stuff or, you know, to have lots of great holidays or whatever. We're surrounded by people like this, but the shock here is that James is writing to Christians. See, the first verse of the letter suggests that James is writing to Jewish Christians scattered around the world. So the surprise is that James has to write this to people who call themselves Christians, Christians whose lives are shaped by making money. It's, It's an oxymoron. And yet, it's not really surprising that James has to write like this. Because if we're honest, most of us are tempted by wealth. Most of us, if we're really honest, would love to have, if not loads of money, a lot more than we have to buy a lot of the things that we think are going to be very enjoyable Look, whenever i've enjoyed the finer things of life i found myself wanting more do you know that feeling uh, years back i was upgraded to a first class seat on a long-haul flight since then on every flight i've ever taken as i boarded the plane i found myself looking longingly through the curtain at the first class co- uh, compartment coveting the comfort of those huge reclining leather seats I'd love to have enough money to be able to travel first class whenever I went. Some years ago, a very generous friend gave Caroline, my wife and I, a Christmas gift of a voucher to eat at the Sugar Club in London's West End. It was eye wateringly expensive, but it was the most delicious meal I've ever had. And honestly, I'd love to be able to afford to take Caroline to a restaurant like that regularly. On our honeymoon, Caroline and I were upgraded to a fabulous honeymoon suite in a swanky hotel in in Singapore. I could get used to living like that. And I'd like to wear quality clothes and drive a fancy car and live in a big house. Now, look, it might just be me. You might all be far more godly than that. But my point is simple. Once we've tasted the finer things of life, it's, it's very easy to want more. And so it's very tempting to want to make money. Look, the first verse of this whole letter tells us that James is writing to God's people who were dispersed, scattered all over the world. And being dispersed throughout the world, it's very easy to become immersed in the world and then very tempting to want to live like the world, isn't it? And so it seems that some of the Christians that James is writing to had become completely sucked into a life of wealth creation. Uh, so, so picture James at a New Year's Eve party on the 31st of December, AD 41. He's got a glass of um, orange juice in one hand and um, his other hand is sort of dipping into the bowl of peanuts. And uh, there's soft music playing uh, in the background and a group of friends from his church all around him. And James asks his friends, so what are your plans for the new year? And one guy leaps in. Oh, I'm so excited about the year ahead. In January, I'm heading off to Corinth. I've just landed a fantastic new contract with a trading company. You won't believe how much they're paying me. I'm going to have a blast, travel the world. I'm going to live life to the full, eat in the best restaurants. You know, over the next few years, I'm going to make enough money to set me up for life, he says. By the end of AD 44, I won't have a financial worry in the world. That's verse 13, isn't it? Christians making plans to make money. You see, it's not just that they were making plans without any thought that God was sovereignly ruling over all things, but the plans they were making were all about this life. Listen to them speak about their plans for the year ahead. And they don't sound any different to anyone else who wasn't a Christian. Jesus and the things of eternity really don't seem to make any difference to the way they live. That's what James is concerned about. Indeed, that's what he goes on to write about. Look at chapter 5, verse 1, where James continues to speak to the wealthy. Verse 1, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And look at verse 5 of chapter 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now look again, James is speaking to people who call themselves Christians and who are fully involved in the church but who were just living as if this life is all there is with no thought about eternity. James actually calls them double-minded. If you want to chase it up later, here's your references, chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 4, verse 8. On the one hand, they say they're Christians, but their lives say something else. And so chapter 5, verse 5, they're fattening themselves for the day of slaughter. They're like Christmas turkeys in November, gorging themselves on everything they can eat, but in the process, preparing themselves for the butcher and the Christmas table. And James says, if your life is just about making money, beware. He says, you may not be saved. Please, not because we are saved by our works, But because, as James says right through this letter, the way we live and what we live for is a great barometer of the genuineness of our faith. We're saved by faith. But if we're just living like the world, James questions whether we really have saving faith or not. So do you see at the end of James four, uh, at the end of chapter four, James is not just encouraging us to commit our plans to the Lord. He is doing that. He's also urging us to have godly plans. Plans that are in line with God's view of the world. Plans that have eternity in mind. Plans that involve telling people about Jesus and helping other Christians grow and become established in their faith. So as we draw to a close, come back with me to the New Year's Eve party on AD 41 with James and his friends from church. And as James asks his friends what plans they have for the year ahead, we've already heard from one of his friends. And then another friend just humbly says, well, I don't really have any great plans for the year ahead. I'm asking the Lord to enable me to spend more time with my colleagues at work so that I can tell them about Jesus. And I'm going to commit to getting to know Jesus and his word better so that I can be more useful in building up other Christians and helping unbelievers become Christians. Oh, and I'm going to try to get to bed a little bit earlier each night so I can get up a little bit earlier each day so I can read my Bible and say my prayers for a little bit longer. Now, now that's how to plan for the new year, isn't it? Making plans but humbly submitting them to God. Making plans but ensuring they are plans that honour and exalt Jesus. Making plans that will make a difference. Planning to live in a way so that when we're gone, like the mist, our life's work and what we've really committed to will be solid and last into eternity. And that is the way to have a truly prosperous new year. Happy New Year to you all. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you that uh, your word written all those years ago is as relevant today as it ever was. And if the friends who are before me are anything like me, then we'll need to ask your forgiveness that we so often have made our plans without much thought of you being sovereignly ruling over all. And if the friend sitting before me or anything like me will need to ask your forgiveness for the fact that so often our plans are really not much different to the world's plans. And so we humbly ask you now to work in us that we might plan differently in the year ahead, plan in a way that commits our plans to you and plan in a way that is godly and in line with your great purposes for the world. And then as we do that, may it be that you're glorified and we live lives that are really worthwhile. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.